Hello, and welcome to the Gaming with Science podcast, where we talk about the science behind some of your favorite games. In today's episode, we're going to talk about photosynthesis from Blue Orange Games. Hey, I'm Brian. This is Jason. So we're both plant scientists, biologists, and general all-around nerds, and welcome to Gaming with Science. This is our first episode. So I I have been feeling that for those of you who are just coming to this because you want to try it out, thank you. For those of you who are coming from the future and are watching us after we've become rich and famous and have millions of followers, I apologize. Because this is our first episode, we're still figuring things out. So things will probably be a little rough relative to later ones, we hope. Yeah, we'll come back and fix it. We'll just replace it with a better recording in the future, and you'll never know. You know we won't do that. <laughs> we don't have time. We're a university professor. We don't have time to do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. All right. So uh, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, I was thinking we'd start off with a fun science fact, and this one's actually related to the game today. So our game today is photosynthesis. And just last week, I saw that someone's been doing some bio-inspired engineering. And so a group, and I forgot to see where they were from, we'll post it in the show notes, but there's this whole drive to send out environmentally friendly sensors to use to take remote sensing data, temperature, pH, other things that are useful to monitor the environment and see how it's doing. And a lot of people are modeling these off of various seeds. And so this new group has done 3D printing of biocompatible polymers. So they're biodegradable, they're eco-friendly in the shape of maple seeds. Mm. And the idea is that the, the biopolymer is impregnated with a whole bunch of metal nanoparticles. So very, very tiny bits of metal, they're attached to certain chemical compounds and they fluoresce. So you shine a light on them and they shine a different uh, a different frequency of light comes back out. But the thing is the type of fluorescence, the wavelengths, I'm, I'm not an engineer, I don't know the details, but it changes based on the temperature of the sensor. So the idea is you can take a bunch of these artificial maple seeds that they just print off a 3D printer with the right stuff. You go and I guess you distribute them by helicopter or something. They whirly gig down and spread out just like natural maple seeds. And then you can just fly a drone over at some later point and read in the correct wavelengths of light and be able to say, okay, what's the temperature on the ground right here? And they have data showing that, oh, as the temperature goes up by five or 10 degrees, then this is how the qualities of it change. And if I was reading it right, again, not my area, but if I was reading the paper right, it sounds like out in the wild, these things are expected to last few years, like probably one to three years before they break down and decompose entirely. Obviously not permanent, but that's kind of the point is they don't want to be spreading out plastic and electronic waste everywhere to monitor it. They want something that you can throw out and then it breaks back down. I can see the connection. A part of this game is going to be about seed dissemination and literally maple is is in this game. So that's pretty cool. This is not the topic I thought you were going to talk about though. I, I had seen something again with the idea of of biological sensors where they had engineered plants to respond to certain compounds in the soil and change color in such a way that you could easily monitor the, the presence of particular toxins. Of course, at that point, you're spreading genetically engineered plants out into the environment, which is something people aren't super enthused about. But the idea is really interesting. But again, that idea of a system, this is kind of the opposite. This is using biology to mimic a sensor instead of using a sensor that mimics biology. 
Yeah. Where would the be? Where would the point of that be? I guess where would be the most use for that sort of thing? Would it be like contaminated sites, like super fun sites, so you could get a very fine grain without having to take like a bajillion soil test to figure out where the contamination is? The specific use case that I remember seeing, I'll go back and find this for the show notes as well, was uh, detection of explosives to detect landmines that were buried. Okay, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Because again, you wouldn't want to take a thousand soil samples. You just would say, hey, those red plants over there, don't go over there. I was going to say, if there's landmines, I don't want to take any soil samples. <laughs> so that was the one I remember. I'll, I'll find that for the show notes. Yeah, that would definitely be cool. I can definitely see, I mean, there's... There's widespread issues to genetic engineering. I mean, there's no fitness benefit to being able to sense an explosive. So I like, we're going to need to have a, a GMO discussion at some point, probably. <laughs> this is not the time to open that particular can of worms. No. Um, but yes, let's say there's just probably some pretty high regulatory burdens to get that particular product out and in in the field. I got. I have to wonder how many of these ideas start as someone just thinking, "Hey, that would be cool." Like, what if we could plant plants that would change color in the presence of landmines? What if we made sensors that flew down like maple seeds? I mean, you got to admit, when I was a kid, I would just gather up maple seeds and just toss them in the air because they look super cool. Hmm. And I wonder how much of that design is it, it, it? Not like the whole thing. I mean, it has to withstand rounds of engineering and funding and all sorts of stuff. But that first initial germ of an idea is like, "Hey, this would be really cool." Yeah, you wonder if that's right. Was it the use case that came first and then you figure out how to do it? Or was it the other way around? Don't know. Yeah. So anyway, bring it. I think bring us on into this game. So photosynthesis, which this was only the second time I'd ever played this, but you own this game. Mm -hmm. We do. So photosynthesis is produced by Blue Orange Games. It's released in 2017 with game designer Yalmar Hawk and art designer Sabria Maramon. It's for two to four players. We only played two player. I think we've played four player before. Yeah. Age is, ages are eight and up, which you can usually subtract a couple years from that based on your child, I suppose. I think eight's probably pretty accurate though, based on, you know, my look of this. I think so. I, I think you could probably play a simplified game with like a six or a seven year old, but keeping track of the math and playing optimally is definitely going to require a higher age level. So like if you just want a kid, if the kid just wants to grow some trees, mm -hmm. then you can play easy mode photosynthesis. But to play it real, yeah, probably eight and up. It's probably one of those where a group of kids could play and a group of adults could play. But if you're going to be mix, mixing skills and ages, you might mm, have some different experiences there. Yeah. 45 to 60 minutes to play, which seems about accurate to me. I think you could play a little faster if you're trying to play faster. I think we did. Yeah, there were only two of us, so it made it easy. And yes, we uh, we had a hard deadline, so we were definitely playing the speed chess version of photosynthesis. <laughs> so the setup of the board, you have a circular hex board and two-dimensional tree stands of different sizes. There's four different trees. Each of them, they don't really play any different, but they all look a little different, slightly different colors. Good for colorblind. You know, they're all very distinct and easy to pick out and represent from each other. The conceit of the board is that you have a sun tracker that will rotate clockwise around the board at each corner of the hex, sort of shows what direction the light is coming from. So the objective of the game is when you start, this board represents an empty field with no trees on it at all. You'll start by placing your small trees around the outside, and you'll collect light points that are the economy of the game that you'll use to plant seeds grow up your trees to maturity. And then once they are mature, you'll you'll collect, you'll kill those trees 
to score your points. So when the tree is fully grown, you're able to remove it from the board and collect points that are based on the soil richness is how it's described in the game with more points being awarded the closer you are to the middle of the board and sort of a ranked scoring system. It's kind of like priority scoring. The first person to score in that area will get more points than the last person to collect in that area, which actually is something I hadn't really thought about. There's, a, there's Maybe there's a little bit of a metaphor there too that we should touch on. I know we can we can feature that later. Honestly, the difference in priority is not huge. We're talking like one or two points difference. So it's like, if it's a really tight game, then that matters. But in our, like, in our experience, looking at some people online, it's like most times it's a difference of a whole you scored five times versus six times. So I, yeah, you're kind of right. I wonder what the game would have to look like to have that matter. Cause it seemed like for the most part, anyway, we can talk about design choices later, I suppose. Yeah. So when I was researching this game, the major scientific concepts that I saw that we're going to talk about in more detail are ecological succession, seed dissemination, Photosynthesis, which the game spends not that much time talking about, really, and a little bit on soil fertility. So I think let's let's talk about that aspect, sort of what those are, how the game is representing them. So ecological succession in, in the first place. So what is that? There are two types of ecological succession. Primary ecological succession is like what happens after you've had lava completely like obliterate terrain. There's nothing there. Life is, biodiversity is at zero. And at that point, things like lichens and bacteria and eventually hardy plants come and they rebuild the soil. Primary succession is about rebuilding the soil, reestablishing biodiversity in terrain that's been completely stripped of all life. Then you've got secondary succession. This is a, a, a different process. The soil is still there, but the plants are not. And that is what we're representing in photosynthesis. We have a an area of land with no trees on it. It was basically clear cut. That is probably what happens. There was no other indication of any other sort of ecological disturbance. There was just nothing there. Succession is this process where plants will come back and recolonize an area. And one thing that this game represents well is how the plants are competing with each other for space, for light, for other aspects. You don't really think about plants competing with one another, but that is what drives ecological succession is availability of light, availability of space. And it's why we see a sort of regular pattern of succession of plants, starting with things that require a more open light environment until the trees come in and they will shade out everything else. And then You'll see a transition in species during that. The secondary succession is driven by disturbances. Those disturbances can be as small as a tree falling over, creating new space for something else to come in, or a forest fire or something like that. So this is really the key metaphor that this game is trying to represent, is secondary ecological succession. Plants competing with one another for light, for space. Yeah, we've got, presumably we have some forest around this clearing that is still intact, and that's where all the initial plants come from. And then this clearing is slowly being recolonized over, I don't know, you figure, we're looking at the lifetime of a tree. So this could be several decades of time that are passing for, for the game. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're trying to represent. The sun moves around the grove. That's an important name. So obviously there's some cycle going on, but it doesn't really seem like it's a year. It seems like it must be a longer period of time of some kind. Yeah, well, this is the point where the, when you have to make a choice of making a fun game and being completely accurate to the science, people choose to make a fun game. 
And I agree with that choice. The point, like if you make a very accurate scientific game that is also boring, no one's going to play it. I'd rather have a very fun game that has some minor deviations from accuracy or even major ones, as long as it's fun to play. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think as long as the sort of the key concept is still there and is still being represented, I think that that's fine. And you can present it in different. I mean, obviously, there are board games that go up and down the scale in terms of how much they're trying to simulate things based on sort of the objectives. But as long as the key mechanics sort of still represent, I, I think that this does a pretty good job of sort of getting this key concept of plants competing for space and light, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. The uh, the odd, the one odd thing there, one of these acceptable breaks is the fact that all the plants of the same species are working together. So one strategy is you have a bunch of tiny plants around the edges of the board, which isn't worth very many points. And then you use all those light points that you've gathered from the edges to grow your trees in the middle to get them really big and make a lot of points when you harvest them. And so that's the because the trees of a species are also competing against each other by and large. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we talked about this while playing. It's like, okay, maybe this represents the mycorrhizae, which are these underground fungal networks that connect trees and have been shown to be able to kind of help trees out from one tree to another, but there's still a lot not known about it. And I mean, by and large, competition is the way things work in reality. So that's, a, again, an acceptable break. You're trying to get your entire species of tree to do the best, not just individual trees. Yeah, it's go team oak. Which is 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 an odd thing. They don't actually tell you what the four trees are. I had to look this up, but they are oak, spruce, sycamore, which is what we thought was a maple tree, mm. um, and linden, which is the tiny little berry ones. Oh, that's interesting. So even though they have four species of tree, in terms of the gameplay, they all function exactly the same. They all grow the same. They all need the same amount of light. They all like the same amount of soil, which is another sort of break from reality a little bit. Obviously, the economy of the game would be much more complicated if the light had to stay with the individual tree that collected it. Uh, more accurate, but way more fiddly. Yeah, that's when we need a computer to handle that. I'm not going to do that myself. <laughs> but one thing that we did talk about there that actually leads us into the next topic is this idea of, yes, plants will usually, they're not only competing with members of other species, but with themselves. That is why seed dissemination is an important idea. This idea that a plant needs to spread its seeds to new territories. And seed dissemination can come in a variety of ways. And in this case, all four of our trees disseminate similarly. It's purely based on size. But dissemination can be based on a wind. You know, we have our, our dandelion fluffs or our Samara-like maple seeds that will flutter down. We can have dissemination by water, which we didn't really get too much of that in this game, or dissemination by animals, which again, there's no animals in this game. There, there is an expansion with animals that also play roles with a moon tracker. We didn't play that, but it's an interesting idea. We may revisit that in a future season. Potentially. But of course, oaks and squirrels have a well-established symbiotic interaction. Oak seeds are kind of dependent upon animals. Acorns are largely dependent on animals to get planted, which we're not going to deal with here. Yeah. Actually, let's take a look at these. So oaks, they're acorns. They depend on squirrels and other things mm -hmm. like grab them, bury them. The spruce... How do spruce, they're, they've got cones. Some cones are dependent upon disturbance and fire to open, but I don't know if that's spruce. I don't know about spruce. Sycamores, which looking up people, either there's two very different trees that are both called sycamores or people are very confused about what sycamore <laughs> seeds look like because sometimes they look like maple seeds and sometimes they look like a ball of like tiny little spike things held together. Hmm. So the, the game has the maple seed ones. Those are wind. So they just drop and they whirly gig off somewhere. 
And then the linden is berries, so probably birds. Probably. So that would be we've got two animal. Um, I I really don't know how spruce cones spread. I mean, the ones that are fire based, it's a really interesting mechanism. The cones will be uh, held shut with the pine resin that has a melting temperature that will only open when it's exposed to extremely high temperatures and release the seeds. Yeah, they're fire dependent. So the other concept of the game is photosynthesis itself, which I think that most people, it's relatively common knowledge that plants need light. What do they need light for? What are they doing with it? They are able to use the energy of light to take carbon dioxide from the air, combine it with water and create glucose, sugar, right? And then in the process, releasing oxygen. So the light economy, the ability to collect light is a key thing that plants need to do. And it basically means that as long as they can get water, carbon dioxide is everywhere. As long as they can get light, they can produce energy. What do they do with the glucose? They actually burn that glucose, reversing the process to generate energy, or they use the carbon to make other parts of their body. Trees are made from thin air. And water. And water, thin air, thin water. That's true. I was actually, I meant to look up, do we know what percentage of a tree is carbon? No, but I think the answer is a lot. Yeah. Like so. all of the carbon that is in the tree, the bulk of the tree itself, the carbon skeleton that makes up all of the tissues is coming from the air. Yeah. Well, let's see. You got carbon, carbohydrates. So you've got a carbon. I mean, usual ones like glucose, you've got like a hydroxyl, so an oxygen and a hydrogen on one side and a hydrogen on the other. So carbon and oxygen are about the same. Hydrogen adds a little bit. So if I were just to go off of that ratio, like CH2O as your typical carbohydrate, we could probably say, eh, what, like 40, 45%? Yeah, it seems reasonable to me. Another 45% is oxygen and then the rest is hydrogen. There's some nitrogen in there too, which will lead us into our next topic. True, true. Yeah. For, I forgot about all the nitrogen for, for the protein. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually that can lead us into our next topic, which is soil fertility, which I had a little bit of a harder time researching it, but I think for anybody who's been to a garden center and has actually looked at a bag of fertilizer, you'll see three numbers on there. That is the nitrogen amount, the phosphorus amount, the potassium amount. Nitrogen is one thing that is in the air all the time, but it is in a form that is functionally unusable. Dinitrogen gas, the bonds between those two nitrogen atoms are so strong that even though we're surrounded, the air is 70% nitrogen, but it's not usable. Yeah. To put this in perspective, the formation of that nitrogen bond is what makes most explosives work. (laughs) So trying to get it back apart so it can be used by a living thing is basically trying to reverse an explosion that level of energy yes a reverse <laughs> explosion in order to do it it is like like i i work in this a little bit i study plant microbe symbioses and the microbes are the ones that are actually turning the nitrogen and it is it takes so much energy mm-hmm. to split that stupid bond i mean there's a reason why plants pay microbes to do it instead of doing it themselves it is so hard and uh, and it's it's a process that's also poisoned by oxygen. Yes, there's that too. Yeah. So if you want to be able to do this, you also need to create a, a environment where oxygen is kept at a minimum or you know very little oxygen, which is something microbes are pretty good at doing. Certain microbes can live without oxygen at all. This is something that there are specific bacteria that do this. The plants will make specific organs to facilitate and allow them to themselves to be colonized. There are some trees that form these associations, but microbes in soil can do it just on their own. And the amount of 
I don't know. Is it fair to say that the amount of nitrogen in soil is probably one of the most limiting things for soil fertility? Oh, yeah. Okay. So so that's a concept here too that we have in the game. This is this idea of soil fertility, which I, the soil richness, I'm not, I'm not sure why. This is, let's talk about the metaphor of the game. Why, why is killing the tree in the rich soil the good thing to do? Um, I mean, from just a game perspective, like it's the hardest spot to go for. You want people to be vying for it. So you want there to be a reward for competing for a limited number of spaces. Hmm. So if we were to try to extend that to the metaphor of, oh, this is ecological succession. This is a living biosphere. This is something going on. Well, there there are better parts of soil. There's better parts of forest where there's more nutrients because of something, maybe it accumulated something. Maybe there's just a pocket of extra rich earth there. I mean, some of my colleagues who work with crops say that this can sometimes be a problem when they are trying to figure out, like do experiments, because if you had, if the farmer 10 years ago had a chicken coop on one part of the field, mm. well, all that chicken poop is now sitting on the field and there's just a much higher level of nutrients there. Or I have know someone in, um, in Africa who would complain about ants because ants, an ant colony is basically a giant engine for gathering nutrients over a large area and then concentrating them in a small area. And so these same things work in forests and such. So there are patches of better soil. And if it, you've got more nutrients there, then presumably you'll be able to grow better. You'll be able to make more seeds and have a better chance of winning the evolutionary game of having as many offspring as possible which is something this game does not talk about very much. Like you're not rewarded for making a bunch of seeds. You're rewarded for harvesting mature trees. Less about ecology at the end of the way scoring goes and more about forestry or that this is being maintained in some way. Yeah. Well, yes. When I first saw this, I was like, oh, it's a game about succession. It's about plants moving in and colonizing into the surf spot. And then we get to the point, oh, you score points by harvesting your mature tree and clearing its grounds like oh no this is a game about forestry this entire lot got clear cut and now the trees are moving in from the from the outside and we're just cutting them down and harvesting them when they get mature i guess i did think maybe you could think about oh maybe we're like capturing carbon in the soil or something if you want to do like a more ecological one but it's really it's a game about forestry yeah old trees do die they do create spaces of disturbance for new trees to move into but that's not a Trees aren't seeking death upon maturity, typically. No. I think you you talked about another metaphor there that might have been a different way of doing scoring or a different way of dealing with the uh, soil richness, which was which could be producing more seeds or affecting seed dissemination. In photosynthesis, seed dissemination is purely based on how tall the tree is. A one tall tree can spread a seed one away. A two tall tree can spread two away, a mature tree can sped up to three spaces away. Maybe the game would be more accurate to the metaphor of the science if dissemination was affected by, affected by soil richness rather than the size of the tree. I think we're meant to assume that in the game, because it's based on size, maybe these are all wind disseminated or something. So being a taller tree gives you access to more area. I personally like the mental image of all these trees just kind of catapulting their seeds like <laughs> one or two two squares away. There are there are plants that do that. There are plants that use sort of a uh, I'm trying to think of the best way. They will launch seeds. The seed pods will grow under tension and when they dry they may fire seeds away, catapult them physically into another space. Yeah, I've heard American witch hazel is one of those. I've never seen it myself, but I've heard that it actually does that. 
oh, I'm trying to remember. There is one that grows in my a weed in my yard that uh, Harry Bittercrest does that. As you walk by the seed pods, they will explode percussively and then spread seeds all over the place, which is why they're <laughs> very thoroughly represented in my yard. So we played this game twice. And as you said, we didn't do it quite right because we had some of the light gathering rules wrong. Turns out that a short tree can't actually completely shade a taller tree next to it. We thought that was weird, but we were looking in the wrong part of the rule book. So anyway, you'll find this like we're very human. We make mistakes. So as we go this, we may not quite get the rules right all the time, but um, that's okay. We'll we'll play it right next time. But anyway, what was your experience of playing the game? So there's a lot of moving pieces, like the sun is moving around, you're trying to grow trees, like a tree that is in a great position now could be shaded in two turns. What what was it like for you playing the game? Hmm, let's see. Uh, it was, well, I think that we have slightly different play styles. I typically just do the actions and then see how things sort of mature. I'm usually not trying to plan too far ahead, which I'm just going to say I'm playing like a tree. Trees are also not planning ahead necessarily. But the use of the turn tracker to keep track, handing that back and forth, sort of developing sort of a good routine was good. Playing the two-player game, we kept a pretty good pace. I would wonder if you had more players, if it would change the pace, if you'd get overly concerned about what I should do next as you're waiting for everybody else to make their decisions. One thing that about the game that sort of threw me off, one is, okay, you, yes, it is a game. You are planning, you are trying to achieve victory by harvesting your mature trees. The way that you spend your light points that you're collecting is you will prepare your trees, bring them to this sort of strange nether zone uh, and then you pay again to put them out onto the board. From a metaphor perspective, I don't know, maybe the trees are saving up energy to do something that they want to be able to do next turn or that they will do at some point in the future. The game was not hard to learn. All right, Jason, so we played this a couple of times. Uh, what did you, uh, did you enjoy photosynthesis? What was it like to play? It was fun. It's one of those games where the individual parts are relatively simple, but when you put them all together, it suddenly becomes very complicated, especially because of that moving sun tracker around. I found myself very quickly trying to plan out, okay, where will this tree be in two or three turns? When I was about to harvest trees, I would say, okay, wait, the sun tracker is going, I've got two good turns of sunlight left. I'm going to leave that tree together sunlight for now, and then I'll harvest it once it drops into another tree shadow. So one part from the metaphor was this idea of you spend lights to prepare a tree or a seed, and then you spend again to place it on the board. So I screwed that up a couple of times in a couple of different ways. When we would harvest, I would put things in the wrong place. I'd put them in my ready area instead of back on the player board. Or in both of our games, when we would get near the end of the game, I would spend my points poorly on things that I couldn't actually do anything with. So, but I'm a less tactical player than you are. Yes. No, I'm very much a plan it out, try to find all the pieces, see how they work together. Like I, I love games like this that reward people for like thinking ahead and trying to figure out the optimal plays because that's what I enjoy doing. And so I was definitely looking and like those last few turns, like, okay, my goal is to grow big trees and chop them down, grow big trees and chop them down. So everything I did was set towards gathering as much light as I could in order to do those two things. New trees, they don't matter. There's only two turns left. They're not going to be able to grow big enough. So sorry, little trees, you just get ignored. You all you you only exist to serve the needs of the greater grove. <laughs> just like real trees. No, not really so much. Uh, actually, I would say that that's one thing is trees don't do a lot of planning typically, I wouldn't think. So there's another sort of place where the game's a little different. One thing about this game is it's it's just very pretty. 
it, it's a very pretty game. Oh yes, uh, it's it's visually appealing to to watch this grove kind of fill in with trees of different sizes uh, in a. It's not quite natural. So again, the sun is coming in completely from the side. So there is sort of this, I think you noticed this when we played too, that middle ring kind of didn't get filled up that much, but that probably would be different if you had more players. It would probably also be different if we were playing with the correct light rules so that we weren't completely <laughs> shading out at each neighboring tree. <laughs> yes, that would probably also help. This is one of the fun things about board games though, is that you can play them wrong and still have fun and still sort of get the game and enjoy the game, even if you screwed something up. Yeah. Going back to the looks though, like I want to, like, that's a really important thing to me. Like I, I enjoy games that really look good, that are very aesthetically pleasing. I have actually bought board games simply because they were very pretty. Thankfully, they usually turned out to be very fun to play as well. If someone's going to invest the time and money to get good artwork, they've usually also invested the time for good gameplay. And this is a very pretty one. The trees are pretty. If I'd need to double check, but I'm pretty sure each side has like eight tiny trees and like four or five middle-sized ones and two big ones. And I think they're different. I don't think they look identical, all the pieces to each other. I think there's a few different models for them. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't even notice that. There, that there are slightly different resources for the smalls. They're little two-dimensional standees. They might be. Yeah, I could be wrong. Maybe I just got that impression because each of the four sides are very different. There's a kind of a, a bluish, a greenish, a pinkish, a golden colored. And so, again, the, the grove ends up looking very, very pretty. It probably ends up happening because if you have two standee pieces, if you just put them together a different way, you end up with a slightly different looking tree without even trying. True. That could be it. There are some advanced rules that we didn't play. One is to add a third revolution of the sun. You mean a fourth revolution? Yeah, a fourth revolution around. I'm not sure why, how that would change things other than just giving you more time to plan and score and fill out the board more. The more interesting one, I think, is that you cannot place a seed in the shadow of another tree. Now that would change the game a lot. The way it is right now is like you can place a seed anywhere where there's an open space, where there isn't already a seed or someone else's tree. But the shadows in the game are very important. I mean, they're probably the most tactical part is figuring out where trees are going to be in shadow, where they're not, and how you can avoid your your opponent's shade and literally throw shade on your opponent so that they can't <laughs> actually earn any any light points. And so adding another monkey wrench where you can't put a seed down in a place that's in shadow, that would be hard. I almost wonder if it'd be more realistic if you can't sprout a seed when it's in shadow. I think that that does make more sense. Uh, another thing that they do is a seed can hold a square. A seed can hold a hex. Just having the seed there means nothing else can be there. Including another seed. Including another seed. It's like, well, but... Really, though, that's not how that would be. Just having a seed there is not going to keep another seed from landing in that space. And then it should be a race. I don't know. I, I, I wonder how that would change things, too. Yeah. I wonder how many people use seeds to just lock down parts of the board so that their opponents can't get them. I mean, you 100% could do that. The, the, the downside is that you have a limited number of seeds and that they get more expensive. So if you're going to put it out and you're not going to grow it, then you you are taking a cost to do that. You're not even casting shade. You, you made the joke about casting shade on your opponents. You can cast shade on yourself like very easily. Yeah, you did that several times. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> that is true. Okay, anything else that we should talk about this game? Let's see. I think we've covered it. I mean, overall, I thought it was a very fun game. 
you wanted to give, so we're both university professors. And so we are in the habit of grading things. And so you wanted to try to give a letter grade to these just to give our impressions. Mm -hmm. So you, you did all the research on the science. So what would you grade the science as? Mm, I'm trying to decide if I should be grading on a curve or grading objectively. I think the core science of ecological succession is represented here relatively well. The feeling is good. Hmm. I'm going to say, how do we feel about a B plus for the forestry end point for scoring as sort of being a little off the biology rails? Yeah, I was going to say about a B plus. It's like, it's definitely there. They're definitely made some compromise. And the thing is compromises are okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But for grading just on like how accurate is the science? Yeah, B plus is probably good. Yeah. The uh, just the collecting phase. That's the, that's that's where just things get thrown off just a little bit. If it wasn't for that, I'd say pr- probably it would have scored a little higher. All right. What do you think about the fun, the experience of playing the game? Is it easy to learn? Is it fun to play? I'd give that an A. I mean, I think that this was a really fun game. I really enjoyed the tactical part of it. I mean, it's not going to be for everyone. I'm, I'm thinking of my own father here. Every time we get together and play games, my, my dad's uh, refrain is, why can't we just play Uno? it's like that's kind of his ceiling in terms of game complexity so but for people who like board games like i think it's good i just looked it up right now so on board game geek its overall rank is 650 644 uh so which okay it's not in the top 20 but given that there are literally thousands upon thousands of games it's pretty good i really enjoyed it and again i really like the aesthetics and it's just very pretty growing trees I can't imagine some people may be turned off by the 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 planning aspect and how easy it is to get in a bit of a bad position as your opponents are throwing shade all over you. So I'd probably give it to an A, maybe an A minus because it may be a too complex for some people, but I personally liked it. I'd give it an A. I think I think I'm I think I'm comfortable with an A minus. I'm actually excited to play it again. I think we should put it on the put it on the list for the next time we get together. I'd, I'd be curious to play again with the proper shadow rules, and also to play with more than two players. What is it like with three or four? How does the game feel different? Well, when we were playing our second round, it was a pretty quick back and forth. It was it was fun to sort of like mm, play speed photosynthesis. I would do that again. Yeah, that was it was stressful and relieving at the same time it was stressful because i still wanted to make optimal plays but kind of relaxing when i realized i couldn't really so i just tried to do the best i could Mm -hmm. um i'm actually quite surprised that not only did both of us do better in the speed round maybe because we do the game better but i trounced you (laughs) I, i had like 30 more points than you did well i think as we continue doing this uh experiment we're gonna hear that trend continue All right. Well, uh, this was photosynthesis. Uh, It's a fun game. Uh, Science is pretty good. Uh, Give it a try. And if you like this, I mean, I know this is the cliche thing, but give us a review. We're new at this. I don't know if you can like, comment, and subscribe a podcast, but uh, if you can, go ahead. Uh, We're trying this out. I mean, really, if you like this, share it with your friends. We're not like, there's no Patreon. We're not doing this for money. if you know anyone at the National Science Foundation that'd be willing to give us a grant, that's great. But uh, we're not going to ask for money. We're just doing this for the fun of it. We're hoping you enjoy it too. So until next time. Have fun playing dice with the universe. Later. 
This has been the Gaming with Science podcast, copyright 2024. Listeners are free to reuse this recording for any non-commercial purpose as long as credit is given to Gaming with Science. This podcast is produced with support from the University of Georgia. All opinions are those of the hosts and do not imply endorsement by the sponsors. If you wish to purchase any of the games that we talked about, we encourage you to do so through your friendly local game store. Thank you, and have fun playing Dice with the Universe.